Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor. Come alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I hope you guys are all doing well today. The sponsor of the month this month is actually the Shepherd's Crook Intensive. I want to encourage you guys to consider coming to Eminence, Missouri, May 11th through the 13th this year. And if you have any questions about the retreat, you can reach out to me. we got three days in the woods, in the wilderness. We're going to have hopefully 75 men this year, and we have about 50 miles on the river we're going to float. Joshua Jenkins is going to be speaking, and we are going to be talking about building out some of the concepts we talked about last year, which is on Christendom, localism, and all of those sorts of things. We're also going to have some arm wrestling competitions, great giveaways, and just some phenomenal things going on. So please check that out. The link will be in the show notes. But that's not what I'm here to talk about today. I am here to talk to a gentleman I've been learning from, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy hearing today. His name is George Bruno. George, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. Good deal. Well, I start every episode off with prayer, so I'm going to pray, and then I've got a bunch of questions for you. Father, I thank you for a a new friend and a brother in George, and I just ask for blessing upon this conversation. God, I thank you for how you have used him and really helped so many men around the world through his ministry, really, the church, as he calls it, the, the men that he's working with and helping. And God, I thank you for that. I pray you'd help me to learn all I can from him in this short time. And for everyone listening in, I pray for the same thing. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, for those that may not be familiar with you, would you just lay out for us a little bit about yourself and family and what it is that you do? Yeah, I am a former therapist and college professor who also has a trade of cutting hair. I'm a firm believer that every man needs a profession and a trade. Like my grandfather said to me, always have something you can do with your hands. And I can go anywhere in the country and within a day be making money somewhere with my trade. So that has been fun. Now, you're not going to get rich cutting hair, but the reality is it's a good, honest line of work. And uh, it has treated me really well. Uh, I went from being a therapist to being a coach only for men, and I have a a, a long career doing therapy, master's degree, and a thousand continuing ed hours post masters. Spoke on stages all over the world, been on hundreds of podcasts. Divorced, three children. Now living outside of Philadelphia hopefully going to relocate uh, to warmer weather soon. Uh, I'm going to work till I die. I don't believe in retirement. I'm not a big believer in retirement. I I just don't see it. I don't see God telling us to work hard and then do nothing until we die. So I like the idea of being productive. Now, will I be working 50 hours a week when I'm 80 years old? No, Uh, I might be working a few hours every day, but the key is, I need to be accountable to people, I need to be productive, and I need to be fulfilling my purpose on this earth, and I don't fulfill it by retiring. Yeah, that's good. That causes a lot of people to question me, 
But I'm saying, all right, well then, tell me where, tell me where in the scripture it talks about retiring. We need to put our hands to the plow every day, no matter who we are. Like told my dad, who's in his 80s, I said, Dad, you just need to go and get a job pushing shopping carts or something. Because I didn't work hard my whole life to go push shopping carts. I go, Dad, it's not about the shopping carts. It's about, number one, something to get you out of bed in the morning. Number two, you're accountable. Mm -hmm. People are counting on you that you're needed, and you are producing something. And, you know, he said, he says, you know, you've got a point there. And uh, he retired. He's an engineer by profession and a barber by trade. So I learned how to cut hair at a very young age in the 70s. And my mother cuts hair as well. So I come from a haircutting family. I know the trade. I know the profession well. I know how to succeed at it. And it's something I love doing. you got to mm-hmm. love what you do. If you don't love what you do and you're not good at what you do, you got you got to look. You need to do something that you love and you need to do something that you're good at. Mm-hmm. Where those two areas converge, man, that's a sweet spot for for most men, loving it and being good at it. And so dad retired from General Electric and uh, cut hair full-time. Okay, he used to do it part-time, then he went full-time, then he did that for several years until he was much older, then he retired. And uh, he said, "I'm, I'm just done cutting hair. And he and my mom live in Florida, and I'm down there visiting. And in the garage, there's a barber chair and a mirror hanging on a nail on the wall mm-hmm. and a dresser in front of it with some tools and combs. And I go, what's this? And he goes, well, there's only so much fishing and golfing you can do. <laughs> I said, what? He says, I'm cutting all the hair in the neighborhood. All the guys come here for haircuts. I cut all the hair from the guys from the bocce club. I'm like, you're kidding me. And he goes, I do about five heads a day. I said, that is incredible. I said, how much do you make? And he says, more than I ever made when I was actually working as a barber in a barber shop. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> That's awesome. He says, God, guys ask me at the end of a haircut, how much do I owe you? I tell them whatever you want to give me. He says, and they always give me anywhere between 40 and $60. Wow. He says, I never thought in a million years that I would be making that giving haircuts. Now, he's he's a barber from the 1950s. He's, mm-hmm. You know, the old the old classic Italian barber. Yeah. Uh, fantastic with a straight razor and beards and haircuts. And just absolute incredible. He's a, a, a United States Marine. He's all tatted up. He, he came up the hard way. And uh, so it, it's been an interesting ride having a father like him, yeah. I should say. But he was the guy that taught me to get back up, hmm. get back up. Yeah. Like when you get knocked down, knocked out, get back up, get back up. He is the the guy that uh, I'll never forget. I remember I said, Dad, is we got into some, some kind of argument where he was being critical of me. This is many, many, many years ago. Yeah. I said, Dad, what do you like about me? He says, well, you sure can take a punch. <laughs> now, I had that kind of father. Now, I had the kind of father that 
didn't just go out and buy a pair of boxing gloves. He bought three pairs of boxing gloves. So whenever I saw him tying the gloves on, he'd throw them at me. I'm like, oh, oh we got to do this again. And it was kind of like a boy named Sue that Johnny Cash song. Yeah, right. Where, like, you are, you are going to be able to take care of yourself. And he did not pull his punches, literally did not pull his punches. There were times when I got, like, I don't know how many guys out there, like, when I've spoken on stages, I'm like, raise your hand if you ever got punched in the face by your father. <laughs> no one raises their hand. I'm like, am I the only one here that actually boxed with his father? So he he taught me stuff that the world uh, would have beaten me up for. Yeah. Right. And he he was like we hear a lot of people now in the men's community, even in the Christian world, do hard stuff. My dad is the original do hard stuff kind of guy. Yeah. He literally would come into my bedroom when I was a boy. I never forget this. My brothers and I, we joke around about it on Sunday mornings. He wanted us up for church. There was no sleeping in. He'd come in, and he was the drill instructor. Mm-hmm. He'd almost like the, the door would almost bang off the hinges when he walked into the bedroom and say, okay, feet on the floor, and put on the light. I'm like, Dad, it's bright. Feet on the floor. We're leaving in 30 minutes for church. I'm like, okay. And, you know, we would joke around and say, yes, sir, like that. He reminded me of Robert Duvall in the movie The Great Santini, if you've ever uh-huh. seen that. Fantastic movie. I, I recommend it for every man that's watching this. The Great Santini. Uh, but all that being said, I work strictly with men. I don't work with women. I believe men should be teaching men. Women should be teaching women. And I'm the, I am a confessor. I am the guy that people come to and say, I've had an affair for the past 10 years Mm -hmm. and I just broke up with her and she's threatening to tell my wife, what do I do? Yeah. Oh, by the way, that's a pastor Mm -hmm. telling me that. Wow. So I've had everything from that. I've worked with men who are mass murderers. I have a guy that I work with now in a private situation who was, one of People Magazine's top 100 mass murderers. He did 43 years behind bars and is a successful businessman right now, wow. believe it or not. Wow, incredible. And when I see him, I shake his hand. People, I'll never forget when he said to me, and he goes, I can't believe you shook my hand. I said, why? And he says, everybody always fist bumps. No, people are afraid to touch one another and i said well I, i'm not going to stop shaking your hand mm-hmm. and, I'm not, and i'm not afraid of you and we can talk about whatever you want or we don't have to talk at all mm-hmm. and that just built a bridge i'm a bridge builder i don't like putting up walls i'm the kind of yeah. guy that says rather than building a taller wall build a bigger table mm-hmm. and invite everybody in without yeah. qualification now, it's interesting, the way you talk about your father, I'm wondering if the lessons that you have learned, or at least that you reflected on, and I'm wondering if you learned those early on and had those, you know, along with you along the way, or if you woke up when you were 35, you know, 45 years old and thought, man, my dad 
had a lot to teach me because it seems like, you know, there was a, a whole book written to, you know, boomer guys talking about the father wound that they received from their father because, you know, the men in their 80s and 90s now into their hundreds, hundreds, they worked hard but didn't know how to connect with their sons. And it, that's the, you know, that's the caricature. So I'm curious to know, did you have those lessons early on when you're leaving the home? Were you appreciative of that? Or did it take, you know, a decade or so for you to connect some of those dots? When I was about 25, I'll never forget, I had 26, actually, graduated from graduate school, master's degree, got my first job as director of drug and alcohol counseling at a mental health clinic. And in the 80s, everybody blamed their parents for everything. Like you... All of your shortcomings were the result of how your parents failed okay. and how, and I fell into this trap of men have to say, I love you kind of thing. And I'm, and I remember getting into an argument with my father and saying, yeah, but you've never told me that you love me. And he says, really? And he says, when we were growing, when you were growing up, we went on vacation twice a year. You got a new suit every Easter. About every few years, you got a new bicycle. Uh, I bought your shoes. I bought your clothes. There was always food on the table. Mm -hmm. I came to your games, and I just felt like crap. I'm like, okay, Dad, I, I get it. Mm -hmm. mm. He doesn't say, I love you with his mouth. He says it with his actions yeah that's good and that was a big turning point for me when he says what do you mean i don't love you and he basically showed me how much he loved me and it was through actions hmm. that's awesome and you know, that was awesome and a lot of your work and your work really when you think about the trade of your mother and father there's a lot of listening required. It's a lot like being a bartender. You know, when you're cutting people's hair, you're hearing it, whether you want to hear it or not, you're listening and you're building friendships and relationships. And here you go into this counseling world. You're also, you're cutting hair, but there really is some connections there with the, the family lineage here of, of being a listener and wanting to be a helper, not just cutting yeah. people's hair, but wanting to, to hear their problems and help them. And so it's, it's cool to see that, that progression there where you actually kind of took what was given to you by your parents and ran with it. Yeah, I had a very, very social home. The, uh, it was a, there was always a pot of coffee on. We, I'll, I'll never forget when I was a little boy. They got rid of like the regular kitchen table, knocked out a wall. There was a, a room next to the kitchen, knocked out a wall, and they brought in like a country farm table, like a harvest table. Thing was like fifteen feet long with a bench on each side and two captain's chairs on the end. And if people were sitting around it, you could easily have 15 people around this table. And people would swing by, come on in. Can I get you something to eat? Would you like a cup of coffee? It was a very, very social home. We were not very private, <laughs> to mm -hmm. my dismay. And the kitchen was always always the place of activity people being fed mm -hmm. people being comforted people being listened to jokes being told and that's how we were we mm -hmm. grew up like that 
So, okay. for instance, in the men's community that I mix with, there are men selling courses on how to pick up a woman, how to talk to a woman. I'm like, and I'm like, what? Yes, for $1,000, $999, you can get my 12-module series on how to find a I'm like, you mean there's men that don't know how to do that? <laughs> like, it didn't occur to me that, like, for me, just walking up to a, a strange woman mm -hmm. and saying, hi, my name's George. What's your name? I was very social. I grew up with a dad that flirted with the wait staff in a restaurant, cocktail waitresses. And of course, not at the time I was, my dad was going to bars and such. And I, I was probably the last generation that was allowed to go to a bar before it became illegal to go to a bar. I remember at five years old sitting at a bar with my dad and he put a bunch of quarters in front of me uh, for jukebox money. Mm -hmm. And, I'd get a, I'd get a, a root beer like this and a bag of wise potato chips and some beer nuts while my dad was shooting darts and flirting with ladies and and hanging out and, and he was a he's a uh, country and bluegrass musician so mm -hmm. he'd be playing with a band in the corner and I'd be sitting there just like talking to the bartender and talking to people my feet dangling off the bar stool kind of thing so I grew up in <laughs> right. that kind of environment. That would be very odd right now if that yeah, you know right. if, if that was happening. Children can't go into bars. But I grew up in such a way where when I turned eighteen, I grew up in New York. When I turned eighteen, I didn't go out and seek to have sex with a woman or uh get drunk on my eighteenth birthday because all of that stuff was just in my life. Mm-hmm. As a young man growing up, it, there was no forbidden fruit for me. So mm -hmm. alcohol, when everyone turned 18, you know, we're going to go out and we're going to drink. I'm like, yeah. And you know, <laughs> like it, right. it was nothing to me. There was no forbidden fruit. It, and I wasn't an alcoholic. You know, my dad was the kind of guy, he'd mix a drink. And I'd say, can I have a sip? He'd give me a sip. And I go, ugh. Mm -hmm. I spit it out like that, and he's like, that's good. I, you should never start drinking. <laughs> so this whole idea of not exposing children to things that – certain things, it's slightly flawed. I was – I grew up in the world. I know how dark the world can be. Hmm. I was there, and yeah. it, it holds no attraction to me. It, it wasn't a forbidden fruit for me. Yeah. So you have all this experience then growing up and experiencing the things that you did. You grew up with your father cutting hair. You get into the therapy world when you become, a, a, become an adult. And somehow or another at this point, you're doing these YouTube videos and you're realizing that men don't know how to walk up to a woman, shake hands, and ask a woman out on a date. Maybe I can come in here and be a father to some of these young men. You're already doing that in the counseling world. So this coaching begins. So listen, my son, I don't exactly know how long it's been around, but at some point or another, I think, I think it was through Michael Foster that I stumbled upon you originally a few years back. And I've had him on my show a couple of times. And, and so then on Gab, I see you posting on Gab and 
you're up every day at four o'clock and I'm up every day at four o'clock. And so I see you get up there and post and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, I've just been intrigued and you've got your YouTube channel, listen, my son, and you're just coaching men. And I hear these reports all the time of men, you know, talking with you. So how did this go from, I want to teach you to shake hands and ask a woman out on a date to, I'm going to do this digitally and help more people more broadly. And I really want to help these men out. And it's now become this life work that is, I know you got many irons in the fire, but it's really impacting men all over the world. So how did that then go from that original idea to start to where it is today? And and, and by the way, George, yeah. sorry, I've got, I've got basically three questions. So listen, my son, the second one is, is I want to turn the, turn the corner in just a little bit and talk to, have you talk to pastors, young pastors? And then thirdly, yes. I want to try to find out what pastors are doing wrongly when it comes to helping men today. So yeah. first, listen, my son. Listen, my son started out as my YouTube channel with my name, and I wanted it to be less and less about me. The channel's about seven years old. It started out as a men's grooming channel. Literally, I basically started a channel on how to grow a beard, how to groom it properly, and then how to trim a goatee, how to grow a mustache, and you know, just different grooming things, the proper haircut to get for the shape of your face and for your profession and for your age and how to have a haircut, the type of haircut you should get if you are thinning and receding, uh, the type growing a big beard. I had a beard down to my belt buckle at one point. I, and as I was instructing men how to do grooming, I would throw in something like, well, Make sure you don't do this with your beard because that kind of feminizes the beard. You don't want to have too many clean lines because it just – you want your beard to stay masculine. And, and you know, women these days say, I can do anything a man can do. And the next time a woman says that to you, uh, ask them, can you grow a beard? <laughs> so my thing was embrace your manhood. Embrace your masculinity. Don't dumb it down. Don't become softer in order to attract a woman. Amp up your masculinity. Not macho. Don't mm-hmm. be macho, but be masculine. And I've made all the mistakes. I've done everything from get a woman pregnant out of wedlock to being in jail. To I mean, I, I've got a little bit of a testimony going on and made some really bad decisions. So it's not a life of all great decisions my my pedigree my resume doesn't have those things on it but those are the things that i learned the most from so my channel i have three children and i wanted it to be more like uh fatherly after about a year or two into it because people would say you you're like a father to me you're like the father that i never had and no one ever said that to me ever because I'm like the father that I never had. I'm, I'm like the father that my kids never had. And people are telling me, you're like the father that I never had. And I didn't get it. And I understand like what uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson says when he talks about the lost boys. Mm-hmm. There's an entire generation of young men that are being raised with their dads as being visitors. They see their dad every other weekend and on a Wednesday night for for dinner at Applebee's. 
but he's never in their life full time with mm -hmm. more than 50% of marriages going downhill. That me and most of the kids staying with mom. Mm -hmm. That mom can't teach a young man how to be a man. And mom's yeah. boyfriend can't teach a young man how to be a man. It's mm -hmm. got to be the dad. And a lot of guys tap out because the legal system really stinks and minimizes dads. And then dads just say it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. The guy spends all his money just trying to see his kids. Yeah. And, and then he ends up despising fatherhood because of his ex-wife. And this is pastors, too. I know mm -hmm. a lot – if I told you how many pastors I have that I'm currently working with, it would blow your mind. Really? Pastors, wow. Christian educators, missionaries, it would blow your mind. Uh, I'm the guy that a pastor can come to to say that he's had an affair for the past 10 years, mm -hmm. and he knows his secret is going to be safe with me. He knows I'm not going to condemn him. Mm -hmm. I can't condemn anybody, not because I'm the Almighty, but because I've been there. I've made the mistakes. That's my resume. Now, do I have the professional credentials? Yes. And the experience? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. But my real credentials are the scars that I bear from the folly of bad decision-making when I was a younger man. Yeah, right. And I'm not afraid to talk about it. Well, it's interesting because what you have going on, you've got this gravitas where men are drawn to you, whether as somebody that's going to listen, somebody that's going to understand, somebody who gets me, what I'm going through, what my plight, the current plight of what's what men are facing yeah. today. There's something there. And honestly, you're kind of like this guy. And then all these guys in the manosphere, any any of these men that are out there, the they're, the young men are going to these guys and they're running right past their pastors there's something that guys like myself i've got a we have a bunch of solid men at our church and great folks but there's still something in this area of pastoral ministry where we've lost the men we've lost influence we've lost the ability to speak to them and in a lot of ways it seems like we've actually done the opposite where we've stepped in and, and continued to harm these guys rather than to help these guys and there's several theories of, of how that happens but you know, within this context of feminism, within this context of of guys that are wanting to please the women and at the expense of the men, you know, there's all these terms for it, you know, the white knighting, that kind of thing that, that men do and pastors do. But there's something here where the men are being pushed to guys like yourself and beyond, and they're not talking to their pastors. And you have made a few posts that have, again, that have really just drawn me in. One, you talked about a young pastor that came in changed everything, fired the older guy that was the the song, the, the worship pastor, who yep. had put together cantatas, written music, and had been faithful ministry for 30-something years. And you had this young guy that comes in, fires him, and tries to make things hip and cool and mega churchy and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And then this other example you had posted where pastors are the worst, basically. It was something. It was like a very hyperbolic post, but I think you really meant it. <laughs> it was like – Whereas like pastors, most of them are just doing more harm than good when it comes to helping men in our country. So I'd like you to break that break that down and any maybe even tell them that story of what that guy did and just speak to men because this is you, you got an audience here of pastors. What can we do better? Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I've been disinvited. I'm probably one of the most disinvited men I know. 
<laughs> disinvited from men's retreats, from churches and such. And a few people come to me like Nicodemus in the middle of the night and say, hey, I'm a pastor. I would love you to come and speak at my church or talk to the men's ministry. I'm like, really? You had to come like sneak? You had to sneak around? Right. Like, am I a leper or something? <laughs> like, what? what is going on? So about two years ago, a fellow uh, came to me from the state of Washington to get his hair cut. Men come from about 27 different states and eight different countries to come sit in my barber chair, believe it or not. Oh, it's just – it's a incredible. weird phenomenon. The place where I work, it, it's like the joke amongst the other employees is like, where are they going to come from this week? Mm -hmm. Like what country <laughs> is he drawing people from this week? What state? My only regret is that I didn't put a push pin in a yeah. – I should have had a map of the United States, and every time someone comes in from somewhere, I, you know, put a pin in that because that would be covered with pins. But he said to me, he goes, he looked at me, he was a hand surgeon, actually a hand surgeon. Okay. And he came in, got a haircut, got a nice beard trim. And he says, I, I feel led by God to tell you something. I said, okay. And as soon as anyone tells me, as soon as they preface a statement with like, God told me to tell you this mm -hmm. kind of thing, I'm like, okay. So he was dead serious, face got dead serious, and he says, you are pastor of the world's largest home church. I said, what? And he says, do you realize how many people you're influencing? I said, I guess. And he says, take it seriously. This is a ministry. He goes, I know there's not a church that will have you. He said, but you have men coming to your church every single day that would not be welcome in other churches. Hmm. I've got men who are one percenter motorcycle gang guys, like hardcore, uh, for lack of a better term, outlaw bikers. Yeah, right. I've got those guys coming to me, those guys. And these are the guys that will say, you know, I normally don't do anything like this, but I watch your channel, and I want I want you to come by the clubhouse sometime. Hmm. Or another guy said to me, you know, my mom is my mom's in the hospital with cancer, and I go, what hospital? Would you like me to go there and just sit at her bedside and talk to her, and maybe say a prayer? And he goes, that would mean the world to me, and I well, do that. That's mm -hmm. not I've actually never said that publicly. I don't I don't. I don't think I've even said it on my uh, YouTube channel, hmm. but I've done things like that. Not not pat me on the back. I try to keep those quote unquote good deeds private because as soon as I start talking about it, there's my reward. I'd rather <laughs> keep my rewards private. But what pastors can do with men, especially men who are going through divorce and separation. Every first responder, every paramedic, every EMS person, every law enforcement officer knows that if there's a fire, if there's a building collapse, if there's some kind of uh, tragedy, there's what they call the golden hour. Within one hour, you can save someone's life if they're underneath the rubble, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And after that, then the chances of survival of people in the rubble, tornadoes, hurricanes – after an hour, that's why we're surprised when we see somebody was 
stuck underneath the rubble for three days, only yeah. drinking rainwater dripping in or something like that. Uh, there's a there's a golden hour. Everybody who's a first responder will tell you about the golden hour. As a pastor, there's a golden hour when a man is going through a crisis, and you need to respond to him properly and not drive him away. Hmm. Men don't go to church for comfort anymore. Yeah, Most men go to church because their wives drag them there. And the ones that do go, that's all cool. Nobody went to more men's ministries. I flipped more pancakes than any man I know. I've been to more men's retreats, men's seminars, workshops. I've seen it all. But the minute a man goes through divorce, all of a sudden he stops going to church. Hmm. Well, when he has to move out of the marital home, when his kid, the kids that he tucks in to bed every night now become he becomes a visitor and not a dad. He becomes a glorified uncle. That church needs to embrace him Hmm. rather than embracing the woman who cheated or kicked him out of his own house. Or calls him narcissistic and abusive, which is very popular and pastors love eating this stuff up because women use those two words a lot Mm -hmm. in my dating life i every single woman i ever met like so tell me your story well i was married for 20 years uh, to a narcissist and he was abusive like ah there we go there's the two words (laughs) every woman is married to a narcissist and an abuser Mm. gee what a coinkadink that i'm the one who happens to meet all of the former spouses of narcissists and abusers Hmm. well the bar for narcissism and abuse is very low you just raise your voice with a woman you're an abuser you slam a door oh my god you're violent a woman calls the police the police come to the house i tell guys all the time keep your damn hands in your pockets Mm -hmm. if she if she says he hit me it's, sir, put your hands behind your back. You're under arrest. Mm-hmm. The guy doesn't even have a chance. He doesn't even have a chance to defend himself. The more he talks, the more stupid he sounds in the heat of the moment. And he goes to jail yeah. for a couple of days until he can bail himself out. And then he finds out his bank account is closed. And she changed the locks on the doors of the house that he bought. Mm-hmm. So, man. After man, after man, I've heard this story hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. I have a refugee camp. My refugee camp serves men who were disserved by churches. Hmm. Because male pastors would rather please a woman. And I'm not saying this as a misogynist in any form or fashion. I love women. I love women. This is not... Noted. This is not this is not a woman bashing session here, but the reality is this: most pastors can't relate to men. Mm-hmm. Suck it up, bro. I ha- I got into an argument w- with one guy who had ten kids because I said I made a comment that about fifteen percent of men have a child are raising a child that's not theirs and they're not even aware of it. That's, I'm a big believer in paternity tests for every child Hmm. that your wife bears. And in some countries, that's allowable. In this country, it's not. 
there are men raising other men's children. And it drives me crazy. So one guy, a nice Christian guy, says something like, well, you need to forgive her. I'll forgive her after I kick her butt out of the house. But what would Jesus do? I'm not Jesus, so stop it. Jesus wasn't married. Now, there's nothing telling me that I have to take a woman who's been having sex with other men. I don't want to I do not want to plant seeds where another farmer has plowed. Hmm. Let me put it that way. I'm not interested in that. I am yeah. not interested in that. Well, and it's... I don't and I don't want to plant seeds in another farmer's field. So let's let's uh okay. Seventy seven percent of marriages, you would know this now, are initiated by women. Is that correct? You you know the, the number updated numbers on that? It's it's pretty yes, high. That is that is correct, yeah. Okay. And some of the, the the issue here is okay, being able to care for men, but also one of the things I'm hearing you say, something that I've been talking about for several years now with the pastors that I've been helping out, is is when it comes to gender specific commands, every man, you know, there's there are huge you know, people who have talked about this, about the, uh, and I've heard you say this before as well. So, so Father's Day, Mother's Day, the contrast there. But for, for a man, when I think about the scriptures, I want to hear everything that God has commanded me to do. And I want to hear every, every single prohibition that God has given me. And, you know, understanding the doctrine of justification, I want to hear, give me instruction, God, tell me what to do, tell me what not to do. And I want to follow orders, salute, let's go, let's do this. And when it comes to women, we, don't want to give that to women. In fact, we have a society of women who claim to be Christian who want to avoid everything that God has commanded them to do and everything that God has prohibited from them. And we've got whole ministries and even the whole complementarian circles and ministries that are built to shelter women from God's commandments to them, both in his commissions and prohibitions for them that are very embarrassed about what God has to say yeah. because we don't want to offend women. And this is a perpetual problem of pastors that are terrified, literally terrified, of the women, young and old, in their congregations, and they're having Christian language around it about pastoral care or something like that. And instead, they feel a whole lot more comfortable trying to make those women happy and then throw the men under the bus. And so I think this is a, a problem of not being able to care for men, but even a, a deep-rooted problem of pastors being afraid to speak to women about their particular sin propensities and what God has called them to and prohibited them from. I agree. I agree. You know, pastors need to keep their zippers up. That's what they need to do. I'm not afraid to say it. I have a lot of pastors that I'm working with and that I've worked with over the years. And their secret is safe with me. But I've listened to all kinds of issues over the years that would blow your mind. I know pastors that have fathered children with women in their church hmm. wow. and, and paid them off. This hmm. is, it happens a lot. Hmm. You just don't hear about it. Yeah. Right. So well, I, I'm not afraid to kind of get dirty and roll in the mud with guys. I've had the cold, hard truth told to me, like, like there's nothing magical about going to the church. You know, years ago they would say, uh, you know, if a, if a if a kitten is born in in an oven, it doesn't make it a biscuit. Mm -hmm. You know, going to church doesn't mean anything. I know church is the ER; it's the, it's the place for sick people, whatever. Uh, 
everywhere I've ever been, uh, people have considered me to be a mission because of how I come across. I had more hands laid on me than Macaulay Culkin at the Neverland Ranch. Oh, you know, <laughs> that's a lot. Like another, like you go to a place and, and and they're like, "Brother, can we pray for you?" And I get surrounded by a bunch of men putting their hands on my shoulders, and I'm like, "Oh God, here we go again with that." So. That gets kind of old after a while. I don't talk solemn talk with men. I don't do it. Yeah. I don't do it, which is why I probably don't fit into most churches. I I have found I have found that the Christ, Christian men that are, are in the manosphere, um, there is a. Uh, there's the kind of guy that feels that he can hang out with sinners in order to convert them. You know, the evangelical thing where, like, everyone's just got to know what you are and what you – I keep my damn mouth shut. I keep my mouth shut. I'm like mm-hmm. my dad. What do you mean I don't love you? I visited your mom when she had cancer in the hospital. Yeah. I'm saying this kind of echoing my dad. What do you mean I don't love you? I showed up at your clubhouse. What do you mean I don't love you? You know what I mean? Like I mm-hmm. I believe in just getting my hands dirty and not just being intellectual. I don't want to use big words to men who, who don't even know how to look up a word in a dictionary. Right, right. And half the pastors, I go to seminaries, and I am a – Christian college and a seminary guy and a graduate school guy. I got a pretty good vocabulary. And I don't want to say I dumb it down, but I'm not using 10 cent words to describe theology. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Half, half the guys, half the pastors that think they're in ministry to men are using big words and it just goes right over the head of 99% of the men in the audience. Hmm. And I get tired of it. I get yeah. very tired of it. And That's the other thing is this. What I don't want to do is hang out with sinners in order to to delude myself into thinking that they're going to receive Christ because of me. I do not, I do not have notches on my belt, soul notches on my belt about people that I've led to the Lord. I don't do that. Hmm. I serve. I serve. And that's all I do. And yeah. I'm happy to do it. Well, let's uh, let's turn the corner one more time. I, I know earlier yeah. I referenced a story um, about the young guy that comes in, pushes out the older guy. And your comment was that it pushed you kind of into the high church world. And I, I know just following your story a little bit, you do have a history with Christianity. We, we've talked about you, you. So you've got more disinvites than anybody. And you've been to all the men's yeah. ministries. I think you've even referenced uh, promise keepers. You probably hugged a few guys in the nineties at a promise keepers event, I'm sure. And, uh, and so, um, I, every, at the end of every episode, I give guys an opportunity and I, I really just set this up for them to just speak personally about why do they, why do they love Jesus? Okay. Let's get to, down to the nitty gritty details just personally. So George, why, why have you not abandoned Christ? Why do you love Jesus? I have attempted to abandon Christ. I mean, the name Jesus, Yahshua, literally is translated, God is salvation, not God plus me. 
Hmm. God plus a little bit of what I do. I cannot put Christianity on my resume. I am working out my salvation with fear and trembling. That's what I'm doing. Hmm. I, I'm not a kind of a – I know, you know, the, the whole eternal security thing, I'm aware of that, quite aware of that, and was reformed for many, many years. I can quote everybody from the 16th century. I have all their books on my shelf, but not unlike Francis Chan when he had a an aha moment and said, wait a minute, my theology only goes back to 1517. What happened from 33 AD to 1517? And there was, there's an arrogance amongst the Reformed people, Reformed theologians, that, like, you need to believe what we believe. Christianity did not start with Martin Luther. Hmm. I hate to break it to people. It did not start with John Calvin. I love them. I love them, and I thank the Lord for their ministries. But there were people serving the Lord with fear and trembling, just hoping that they will get in the door of heaven. And I kind of like that. And mm. my mother is Russian Orthodox. Okay. And I learned in that in that church, my father's Catholic, my mother is Russian Orthodox. I learned about the beauty of liturgy. Okay. I learned about the beauty of uh, discipline in worship. Uh, I've seen churches get rid of the pews. Uh, one church that I was a member of for a long time, like there's a few like little god winks i call them where you just know god had something to do with it uh i was a member of a pca church okay presbyterian church in america and they had purchased an old episcopalian church that was dying and there was a three panel gilded painting on the altar 30 foot high 30 foot wide each panel was 10 foot wide 30 foot high, three panels. In the middle was Christ. And the uh, the church is called Christ the King Presbyterian Church. Okay. And the pastor tells me the story that when they were looking at the church to purchase it, and at the time they were renting it from an Episcopalian church that had gotten down to, and they're all woke, rainbow flags all over the place. Mm-hmm. They got down to about 11 members, okay. just dying. They got to the point where they, they bought the church, and then the Episcopalians rented it from them. Kind of interesting. As the pastor was looking at the altar of this church that was over 150 years old, he looked behind those panels at the altar. That was in the back of the altar. And the name of the, the gilded painting that was mm-hmm. 30 foot high is called Christ the King. Hmm. And wow. at that moment, the pastor said, this, this is our church. Yeah. This is our church. This is it. This church was built during the Civil War. It's incredible. Wow. Very, very interesting. Christ the King. So hmm. is that a God wank? Yeah, I think it is. I think God does these little things to kind of show us that he's there, that he still loves us to, to yeah. remove 
doubt uh, from us, and I've had many of those God winks where God has made made Himself known. Yeah, you know, and I that, lo- and I love that. That's good. And George, just to complete the verse that you know, we we working out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God at work in us to will and to work for His good pleasure. And uh, you know, in that that process, there's a passage in Colossians where Paul says, "I, I work with all the energy." that he so powerfully works within me. And, you know, I, I just appreciated you, brother. I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate the, the men that you're helping. And I think this is going to be an encouragement to a lot of the pastors. My audience, I know, is going to listen to this and, and really enjoy it and be challenged by it. And uh, I'm just thankful, thankful that you're willing to make time to come on here. And and uh, I'm going to keep being up at 4. I've been getting up at 4 a.m. with the same routine, basically, for about the last, since I've been married. I've been married now for 12 years coming up on 13 and uh, that 4 a.m. hour is the best and just getting up and seeing you post there every day. I I just appreciate it. So keep up the good work, brother. I appreciate it a ton. Oh, thanks, man. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure we could uh, keep going with George for hours on end and we could make this, uh, you know, as the joke goes, Rogan style, but we're uh, out of time. I want to thank George Bruno for coming on the show. Thanks so much, brother. My pleasure. Okay, actually, before I finish recording, I should have done this just a second ago. Okay, tell us where we can find more about you and find your YouTube channel, and then I'll put that in the show notes, too. Go ahead and tell us. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, channel is called Listen, My Son, taken from Proverbs, where an older, experienced, wiser man is talking to young men. Listen, my son. Listen, my son. And I changed the name of the channel on YouTube from George Bruno to listen, my son, because I don't want it to be about me. I want it. I want my children someday to look at my work. And this is my work. I've been doing it for seven years online like this. It's kind of like my magnum opus so far, so far. So it's the listen, my son, YouTube channel. Okay. Good deal. Well, thanks a ton, and everybody, thanks so much for listening.